If you have a Bible, you can turn in your Bible to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, the passage before us this morning is printed in your order of service. I encourage you to have that open before you. Uh, It is good to be with you this morning as we gather for worship. Uh, Let me just say, if you're a visitor or a guest, welcome. We're glad that you're here. Uh, My name is Penny, and uh, if I haven't met you, I would love to meet you after the service. So uh, please make a point to find me, and I'd love to welcome you formally to Christ the King. It's good to be with you all. Well, I wonder um, if someone asked you who you were, who are you, what are the different attributes or characteristics that would run through your mind as you sought to uh, describe for them who you are? What are those things, those uh, aspects of your life, of your personality, of what you do, what are those things that you would seek to, to share with them, to identify yourself as? I was thinking about this for myself. If someone asked me, who are you? What makes Penny who he is? There's a whole host of things I could talk about. I could say, well, I'm a, a father and a husband. I'm a son and a brother. I'm a pastor and a Christian. I'm an American and Canadian. Can, can anyone else say that one? No. <laughs> uh, just my little kids. That's a few of us. So, um, you know, I could say those sorts of things. I could say I'm an amateur baker and a wannabe foodie. And I once was a suburban gardener and I would love to be one again. And I'm a retired college athlete. There, there are a whole host of things that we could talk about to identify ourselves. There's a whole host of things we could talk about because we're multifaceted people. There are very few of us. In fact, there are none of us that can only be identified with one characteristic. And that is not just true of us. It's actually true of Jesus. It's true of Jesus. See, Jesus is a very multifaceted person as well. As Christians, we believe that Jesus is not simply the center of our lives, but he's actually at the center of the entire universe that the whole foundation of human history is built upon this person of Jesus. And so it's important for us to actually consider not, not just what is said about him, but who he is, what he said about himself, who he is. How does he identify himself? You see, it's not just Christians that believe that Jesus is this important historical figure. Even non-Christians will acknowledge the fact that he, he had a great influence over human history. And so there have been many things that have been said about Jesus, good and bad, right and wrong, and and often a lot that are in between. But if Jesus truly is as important as he is, as we say he is, and, and he is that important, then it's imperative that we not just consider what others might say about him, but but what he says about himself, how he identifies himself. And that's what we're going to do over the next few weeks. I promised last week that this week we would start a new series. And so this week we are starting with uh, the I am statements. So we're going to look at the ways in which Jesus identifies himself. There are seven statements in the book of John where Jesus says, I am, and he fills in the blank. I'm the bread of life. I am the truth, the way, and the life. I am the gate. There, There are seven of them. And over the course of the next few weeks, that's what we're going to look at. Because we're going to consider how it is that Jesus identifies himself, but not, not just how he identifies himself, who he is, but, but what kind of response that elicits from us. 
And so this morning, we're going to begin with the first of these I am statements in John. We pick up in John chapter 6. We'll begin our reading in verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him, because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me, not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, uh, every week during the summer, I have a standing engagement with my three children. This is a little date that I have with all three of them. Kat doesn't participate. It's just me and my three kids. Once a week, every week during the summer, my kids are filled with great excitement and anticipation. They ask on Monday and Tuesday, is today the day? Is tonight the night? And I have to calm them and and tell them to relax. It's, it's still a few days away. You see, every Wednesday or Thursday night, if we watch it in kind of reruns on, online, we gather together after dinner, after they have filled their bellies with a healthy meal, after they have unwinded a little bit, after they've put on their pajamas and brushed their teeth, we gather together on the couch to watch MasterChef. Have you all ever seen MasterChef? Okay, MasterChef is a cooking competition. It's a reality show. It's a, it's a competition in which amateur cooks from all across the country come, and they compete making these amazing dishes. Sometimes they're using high-end food that, that I could never afford and making incredible dishes that I would probably never have thought to eat. Sometimes they're using really basic ingredients and making these dishes that I would love to see on my dining room table. And this is what we do. My children and I, we gather together and we watch this show, MasterChef, once a week, every week during the summer. Well, as we're watching these amazing dishes being formed and fashioned and created, invariably at some point uh, in the, on the couch beside me, on one side of me, I hear a low murmur, mmm, mmm, 
looks so good. It comes from the, the bottoms of their bellies. And forget the fact that they can't taste or smell or touch the concoctions that are being created. Just the very sight of them makes them want some more. Forget the fact that there is no more room in those tiny little bellies for them to eat anymore. Just the sight of these dishes makes them realize they will make room in their bellies for another slice of cake or a little bit of chicken. Mm. Just the sight of something good stirs in my children and stirs in me cravings and hungers. I imagine the crowd that as they come to Jesus in this passage, that they are filled with that same sort of hunger and that same sort of craving. You see, the context of our passage is this. Jesus has just fed 5,000 people. He has taken a little bit of bread, five loaves of bread and two fish, and he has fed thousands. And he has fed them to their fill. And now a day later, the crowds have caught up with Jesus. And later still, the Jews have sought him out and found him. And they come, and they come with their cravings and their longings and their hungers and their wanting more. See, they didn't just witness with their eyes the miraculous. They had actually tasted of it and touched it, and smelled it. They had ate their fill, and now at the sight of Jesus, their hungers and their cravings, they are stirred again. They are asking Jesus for more. And as they come, Jesus could have easily given them more food, right? He could have found a little boy. He could have gotten a little bit more bread and a little bit more fish. He could have gone down to the lake and turned the water into wine and fed them, but that's not what he does. Jesus doesn't feed those cravings. He doesn't feed their hungers. He doesn't give them another meal. Instead, what he does for them is he clarifies for them what they have eaten, what they have tasted. He clarifies for them what it is that they are seeking out, what their cravings are. And that's where I want us to begin this morning. What are we craving? What are we hungering? What are we longing for? And what Jesus tells them and he's telling us is that what we are craving, what we are longing for is him. Look in verse 35. He says it, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. You see how he describes himself? The bread of life. The bread of life. Believe in him and you will never hunger and never thirst. Now, now, clearly, Jesus isn't talking about physical hunger being assuaged, right? Because we all know that no matter how big the meal, I mean, think back to Thanksgiving or, or July 4th, right? We filled ourselves with good food and dessert and good drink. And, and at the end, we, we probably couldn't fit any more in our bellies. But we know that no matter how big the meal, three hours, four hours, 24 hours later, we'll be hungry again. And so clearly Jesus isn't talking about physical cravings and physical hungers. He's talking about something more. Jesus is offering himself when he says, I am the bread of life. And he is saying that he is the satisfier of spiritual, emotional, relational cravings. And we have these cravings. We have these hungers, every one of us. I mean, think about it. Why is it that some of us remain in manipulative relationships. Some of it is because we have an appetite for love, even dysfunctional love. 
Or why is it that some of us kill ourselves in our work? Well, it's because we have a hunger for approval, even false approval. Some of us, it's very easy to let our convictions slide. Why do we do that? Because we know that to hold on to them means, might mean rejection, and we have a thirst for acceptance, even conditional acceptance. You see, in all these ways, relationships and work, in, in convictions, in the things that we long for, we are trying to satisfy our cravings. But like that giant meal, these things will leave us feeling sick and in a day hungry again. These cravings, these longings aren't unique to our experience. This has actually been the experience of mankind ever since Genesis 3, ever since Adam and Eve rebelled against God. We have been craving and longing for satisfaction. In fact, the prophet Isaiah picks up this idea of longing in Isaiah chapter 55. It was the, uh, the verse for reflection at the order of your service. If you want, you can turn there. The prophet Isaiah says this on behalf of God, Come, everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Do you hear the question he's asking? Why are we content with the approval of men, with conditional love, with acceptance that is only for a moment? The prophet goes on, he says, listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. That is what Jesus is telling us. He picks up that same theme. You have tasted of the bread and of the fish. You've had water and you have wine, but now come eat me. Taste of me. Jesus says you will never hunger. Jesus, the one who comes from heaven, this bread that has descended from heaven, he is saying that he is what we are craving. He is what we are longing for. Now let's think about the crowd that has just sought him out. They've tasted of these things. They're hungering. They're asking him for more. And Jesus, when he clarifies, what do you think their response should be? When Jesus says, you have tasted of this bread, you have eaten of this fish, but I have something that is so much better. I have something that will satisfy all of your cravings and all of your longings. Don't you think that they should rejoice and say, praise the Lord. My longings, my desires, my cravings, they have finally been satisfied. Don't you think that they should celebrate and worship? That's not what they did. That's not what they did. Instead, they complained. And they grumbled. Instead of receiving what has been offered, they reject the offer and they complain. And that's the next thing I want us to see, our complaining. Look at their response in verses 41 and 42. The Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? You see, their grumbling, their complaining actually reflects a distortion in what they have seen and who it is that they are talking to. See, they're not wanting their, their uh, hungers to be satisfied. 
their ultimate hungers to be satisfied. They're only wanting their immediate ones to be. Jesus is offering them something that will last, and, and instead they're content with that which is fleeting. They have seen the magical and the mysterious and the miraculous, and when Jesus offers them the miracle worker, they complain. It's amazing because they've experienced something that is good, and they are so transfixed by it that when the amazing is offered, they can't even comprehend it. They're like C.S. Lewis's ignorant child, the ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. They grumble and they complain. And this actually shouldn't surprise us because this is what God's people have been doing really since the very beginning, grumbling and complaining. In the context before Jesus, they interact with Jesus, they actually make reference to, uh, to the manna in the wilderness and Jesus makes reference to that. They invoke this memory. They say to Jesus, our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. But what's interesting is that as they describe what their fathers had done, they, they forget what else their fathers had done. Y'all remember this, right? Before the manna came down from heaven, what, what preceded the, the manna in the wilderness? Well, God's people were in slavery, right? They were in Egypt. They were in bondage. And God's people called out to God for deliverance, and he heard them, and he sent a deliverer. He sent Moses. And Moses led them out of Egypt, out of captivity, out of bondage. He led them through the Red Sea and into the wilderness where they were free now from Pharaoh. And they could live in freedom to worship their Lord. And what did they do with this newfound freedom? They grumbled. They complained. They said, would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. They had seen God's miraculous works. Pharaoh's chariots and horsemen, they had been cast into the sea. God had defeated them, and they grumbled. Would we were back in Egypt. And so God gives them manna. But you remember that wasn't enough either. They weren't satisfied with the manna. Now they wanted water, and so they grumbled again, and so God gave them water. And they complained again later in Numbers 11. They have had their food and their drink, and what did they say? Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt, and there's nothing at all but this manna to look at. Let us return to bondage and captivity. They grumbled and they complained. They complained when they didn't have food and when they didn't have water and when they didn't have meat. And the crowds, they complained when Jesus said, I am the bread from heaven. They complained at God's provision. And the truth is, friends, so do we. So do we. If, if you're a Christian here this morning, your complaint isn't probably at Jesus' statement about being the bread that has come from heaven, the bread of life. That, we know better than to complain about that. We receive that bread for our salvation. No, no, we complain about God's provision in subsequent days. We complain about the fact that we don't have the talents or the gifts that we want, the talents and the gifts that that other person has. If we only had those things, God. We complain and we grumble because we don't have the job that we think that we've earned or the children that we're confident we deserve or the relationship we've always hoped for. God, if you only knew what, what I knew, then you would give me these things. 
we too complain and we grumble. And when we do this, we are showing that we have a distorted view of Jesus as well because what we are saying is that this bread of life was enough for our salvation, but we need another provision for today. But maybe you're not a Christian here. Maybe this morning you come here and you're considering the claims of Jesus, you're exploring what he has said, and so maybe your complaint's a little bit different. You come to this place looking at a world that is full of disarray and anger, that is marked by angst and disillusionment, and you're looking for answers. And what you hear from the church and what you hear from this passage to your questions and your longings is the satisfaction of your longings is Jesus. And so maybe your complaint is, really? (laughs) Jesus? I mean, that's it? No seven steps to a better life, no virtue training. This man who lived thousands of years ago, he is the solution to the world's problems. And we say with God's word that yes, that is the answer. That your longing for restoration and reconciliation, those longings, they are good. They are from the Lord. God has made you for for reconciliation and restoration, and Jesus is the one who brings it. He is the one who has reconciled us to the Father by his life and his death. That's what he said, right? The bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. His broken body and his poured out blood, that those are the things that bring reconciliation between us and God, but not just us and God. It brings reconciliation between us, between one another. You see, Jesus, he is the one who has broken down the walls that have separated us, the walls of race and sex, the walls of economics and education. He has destroyed them, and he has restored us into relationship with one another and with his Father. You come longing for reconciliation and restoration, you should. You desire peace and rest, and that is good because God has put it in your heart. And Jesus, he is the Prince of Peace. He's the Lord of the Sabbath. See, all that you have longed for, all that you have desired, they are found in him. Now, let me just clarify something. Because Jesus does say, do not complain. Do not complain. Do not grumble. And that might be hard for us to hear right now. I mean, over the past few weeks in our country, in our world, I mean, there's a lot to complain about, right? There's a lot to grumble about. There's a lot to mourn and weep and lament over. And so when we hear Jesus say, do not complain, it would be easy to think, well, we just ignore these problems. We just close our eyes. We don't say anything about them, and we just... Put on a pious smile. Don't worry, it'll be okay. That's not what he's talking about. That's not what he's talking about. Jesus, when he says, do not complain, he's not talking about complaining over the brokenness of this world. No, actually, the, the Bible is very clear that over the brokenness, we are to mourn and grieve. We are to lament and be filled with sorrow. That when Jesus says, do not complain, he's not saying, do not complain about the brokenness of this world. He's saying, do not complain about the solution. Let us lament and let us weep. Let us lament and let us weep and let us cry and let us mourn over death and violence. 
over wickedness and evil, over coups and wars and rumors of wars, over injustice. But let us not complain and grumble and scoff at the solution that Jesus offers. He is the bread of life who has come to give us life. And so, friends, let us receive him. Let us receive that. Now, listen, there, there are all sorts of things that will promise us a better life, right? You don't have to come to church to see them. You, you can just go on uh, social media, right? Click on Facebook. You'll see creams and lotions that promise that you'll look younger and pills that will make you healthier and clothes that will make you look more attractive, right? There, there are all sorts of things out there that are promising a better life. But what's interesting is that none of them are promising what we're ultimately craving. None of them are promising satisfaction for our souls. None of them are promising eternal life, and they don't promise that because they can't. They can't. You see, when Jesus offers himself as the bread of life, he is offering to satisfy those cravings, those cravings. He is giving us just that health for our soul, eternal life. That's why he says, do not complain, do not grumble because of what he is giving. And we read of it in verse 47. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever, and the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Did you hear that? What he said? Whoever believes has eternal life. I'm the bread of life. Jesus isn't content with simply getting us through our days. He's not just content with allowing us to be satisfied for the momentary. He has something eternal in mind. Something beyond this life. If you flipped over and followed along when I was reading Isaiah 55, you maybe noticed that I stopped. That the prophet actually said more. Through the prophet, God is speaking to his people and he invites them to come and to eat and drink. And he says this. In verse 3, he says, Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live that your soul may live. That is what we desire and long for, not just that our bellies would be full for a moment or that we'd have enjoyment for a day, but that we would find life for eternity. That is what Jesus is offering the crowds, and that is what he is offering to us. That we would receive his provision. What Jesus is telling us is that though our bodies, they will fail, and they will, we will be raised up. What he is offering to us is that though we will hunger, we will be filled full. There is nothing in this world that can promise this, friends. That whatever we consume, be it food or drink, good works or moral behavior, they will all leave us wanting more. That's why C.S. Lewis writes, If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. And he's right. He's right. We were made for another world. The reason why nothing in this world will fully satisfy is because we were made for something better. 
something not of this world. Our cravings aren't satisfied because we need this bread that comes from heaven. In verse 28, before we read the passage we read, Jesus is asked the question, what must we do to be doing the work of God? And he responded, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. That we will believe in the bread that has come from heaven. This provision that has come from another world to satisfy those longings and desires that we have. This bread from heaven who by his grace he takes our longings and he gives us life. He takes our grumblings and he turns them into gratitude. He takes our resignation to death and he raises us up for eternity. Friends, that is what you are made for. That is what Jesus offers us in himself. That he is the bread of life. The one who satisfies all of our cravings. The one who invites us complain and grumble no more. The one who gives us the life that we are longing for. He is the bread of life. Let us pray. Our God and our Father, we do thank you that in you we have satisfaction. We have fulfillment. Lord Jesus, we praise you that you have come and that you have given us exactly what we need, your life, your body, your broken body, and your poured out blood. We praise you that you would give of yourself to give us what we need, what we long for, what we crave, and that is you. Stir in our hearts desires to follow you. Turn us away from this world and draw us to yourself. Father, we ask that now as we give to you our tithes and our offerings, that this would be an act of faith on our part, an act of gratitude at what you have done, and that you would use these gifts for the furtherance of your kingdom. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.